So one of the things that I remember about growing up, among several other things, is just that I, I wasn't a very confident kid. I, I wasn't a very confident kid in regards to my personality. I, I would see these other personality traits, you know, that, that other people had, and I don't, I don't know if you ever did this kind of thing, but, but I would like see the personality traits of people that I really admired and were getting respect and were getting attention and that kind of thing, and I would... I'll try to add their personality traits to my personality, and I would kind of pretend that I was them, or that was a part of me, even though it kind of really wasn't, you know? And I was kind of picking and choosing the things that I liked and trying to add them to me. I, I don't know if you've ever done that or not. It's, it's kind of honestly like being at a buffet, right? I mean, uh, we love going to buffets, or at least I like going to buffets. As a matter of fact, I uh, started to mentor a kid through the, the Mentoring Alliance, a little fourth grader who um, filled with personality, and I had gotten to meet him once, and I wanted to introduce him to my, my family and help them get to know him and him to get to know them. And so we wanted to, wanted to take him out to dinner and just get to know him over dinner and said, hey, JK, what's your, what's your favorite restaurant? Where do you want to go eat tonight? And I mean, without a doubt, he emphatically said, China King Buffet, baby. <laughs> he was ready to get his buffet on. And so we went to China King, and I, I watched him get his plate, and his eyes get about this big with the number of choices that were there. And, you know, he walked by, and it was kind of like, no, I think I'll pass. And, oh, yeah, a little bit of this. Oh, a lot of that one, you know. And, a little, and he was picking and choosing all of his, his favorite things. And by the time he had finished, it was a... It was a masterpiece, right? It was a, it was a plate full of all the things that he loved and that he liked. And sometimes I feel like a lot of us would love to have like a personality buffet, right? I mean, we could just sit at the buffet line and go, oh, oh, there's the funny. Yeah, I'll take some funny. Um, yeah, smart. Yeah, I want a little bit of smart. Not too much because I don't want to look like a nerd or anything, but want to be smart. Um, adventurous. Yeah, let me a lot of adventurous. Charming. Oh, yeah, I definitely want to be charming. And we, we would love to just add and pick and choose all of the things at the, the personality buffet line, right? And we would have this, this perfect personality, the one that... We would love and we would, we would appreciate the most about who we were and, and that other people would love and that other people would respect and value and admire. It would just be so great to be able to pick out the perfect personality, right? I think a lot of us undervalue ourselves. We don't really like who it is that we are. We don't really think that we have much to offer in that way. And a lot of us feel that way even in our Christian lives too, Right? I mean, we see someone who, who can share their faith really easily, someone who just strikes up a conversation and they're, they're best friends, and the next thing you know, they're sharing Jesus with them, and in the, the three minutes that they had a conversation with them, they've been saved and their whole family's gotten saved, you know? And you're like, man, I wish I could be like that guy or like that woman over there. You see someone who's constantly just being hospitable and inviting people in and they just they love having people into their home and they serve people so well they make people feel like family and you're like man i wish i wish i was so much like them that that i could help make people feel that way or man i love how that person just is, is able to go so deep in their bible study they know all of these big theological words and they can break it down and explain it like they understand everything about the bible and how it all kind of fits together and i just i wish that was a part of who i was and a, a gift that i had and, and I think a lot of us wish we had kind of the, the spiritual gift buffet too. 
right? Like where we could go by and pick and choose everything that we think would make the perfect Christian and the ones with the right personality and the right gifting to be, to be the most effective in the kingdom of God and to be the one that, that God is proud of, right? Because I think a lot of us feel like God has got to be so disappointed in where we're at when we've been Christians for this long, some of us. Like, by now, I thought I would be here. Like, by now, I thought I would be more like so-and-so that you admire. You think God has got to be so disappointed in me, and if I could finally ever get that and be more like them than this person, then then I I would have it. There would be so much more kingdom impact, and, and God would have to be so much prouder than us. We just tend to think that we are not enough whatever it is the personality that we've been given whoever it is that we are is not enough and so we find ourselves either either trying to be like other people like i said trying to pick and choose and 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 make it all up to uh, who we are and put this personality out in front or we're, we're so ashamed of who we are we kind of spend some time in hiding we don't really come out because we're just kind of embarrassed about who we are and we feel like god's a little bit embarrassed about us this is an identity issue of course we've been talking about identity all summer long and various aspects of our identity and who we become in christ the moment we put our faith and trust in him uh, an understanding of our personality is part of our identity and a identity question identity topic that we need to dive into and we haven't really talked about yet last week we moved away from some of the spiritual aspects of our identity and talked about our our bodies and how that plays into um, who we are in christ and that we're temples of the holy spirit but we really haven't talked much about our our personality and what we call our souls our mind and our emotions and our our will and that kind of thing and so today this is what i want us to focus on and i want us to to see something that the apostle paul said in ephesians 2 we're not going to start with the statement that i want you to see that i think applies a little bit more directly to what i want to focus on today we're going to start a little bit before this statement that he makes in ephesians chapter 2 because i want you to see what paul says before this i want to see how you he gets to where he says what it is that he's going to say and uh, some of these things we've actually said throughout some of our identity series if you've been here and so this will even maybe be a good review for you on how we've been able to say some of the things that we've said about your identity and if you haven't been here then this will help kind of get you caught up to an extent look at what paul says in ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 he says and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind paul paul is talking of course to to the church at ephesus 
The church is a group of people. It's not a building, right? So he's talking to the people who make up the church, who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. And he's telling them in verses 1 through 3, he's reminding them about a point in time in their past before they came to know Jesus. That before they came to know Jesus, they were very different people than they are now. Before they came to know Jesus, they were spiritually dead, Paul says, because of sin in their lives. They were uh, cut off from God, who's a holy and a perfect God. There was meant to be this spiritual union between us and God at a spirit level. We were made up of a spirit and a soul and a body, and we were meant to be um, um, in a relationship with God at a spirit level and sensitive to what it is that he would say and speak into and in strength and power that we would draw from him. And we've been cut off in that way because we're spiritually dead. And because of that, Paul says they were following the ways of Satan and this world. Well, yeah, duh, they didn't have any other choice. They were meant to be in union with God and draw from Him as their strength and their source and the life that they were created to find in Him, but they were cut off from that life source. So the only other place they had to look for the life that they were missing on the inside was out in the world. How is it that people in the world are experiencing life? And so they would look to follow the ways of the world and the people of the world. How is it that the people of the world define who they are? How do they look at identity? Right? And so they would have to create an identity and one that would find value in the culture and in the world that they lived in. By the time he gets to verse 3, Paul kind of broadens it, though, to not just include those in the church at Ephesus, but himself and really all of us. Because he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. The flesh is Paul's term throughout Scripture to describe um, us as our source, right? We're, we have to do things in our own strength and our own power. We've got to carve out our own way because we're not in union with God anymore. So we were, we were all in this situation. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus for salvation, you're still in this situation. This is the picture that Scripture paints for us about all of us with indwelling sin in our lives. We're all looking for the life that we were meant to have in a union with God. And if we don't have it in Him, we all try to find it out in the world and through the experiences that we can have. And we gain an identity and a meaning and a purpose through whatever ways the world values those things. And so we're taking things from the, the buffet, the personality buffet, and trying to add them all the time because these are the things out in the world that find value and they speak highly of who we are in the world. And we didn't really have a choice. I mean, the last thing that Paul said was they were part of our nature. They were part of our nature. There was nothing that we could do about our situation to get out of them. We were slaves. We were in bondage to sin and to the, the ways of this world. And so this is about the most worst possible news that we could hear. This is a pretty bleak picture that Paul is painting. Thank God for verse Four. As soon as Paul finishes describing who they once were, he comes in, in verse 4 and says, but God. So you were in this situation. There was nothing that you could do in the situation you were in, but God. In other words, God stepped in. 
to do something about the situation that you were in and you couldn't get yourself out of. So, but God, being rich in mercy, why would he step in and do these things? Because of the great love with which he uh, loved us. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And by grace, you have been saved. Paul says you were in this position before Christ, spiritually dead, following the ways of the world, but now, but now you're spiritually alive. Now you are someone different. And it's not anything that you've done, not anything that you've done through the buffet line of personality or works or anything else that you've achieved to get to some point where God made you more alive. The only way you can experience, um, uh, move from death to life is through a resurrection. How, how are you going to bring yourself from death to life through activity and religious activity and things that you're trying to achieve in an outward kind of way it's just impossible it's a it it has to be a work that he does and and it is a work that he does but that he gifts to us it's by grace he says that you've been saved now that's not the only thing look at what he says in verse six and and god also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in christ jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in christ jesus and we've already talked about this a little bit earlier in one of our other messages how in christ we're already spiritually seated in heaven we may be citizens here on earth and of the United States, but that's secondary to who we've become in Christ. We're primarily and first and foremost citizens of heaven. This is why Paul is able to say then in Colossians 3, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Because this trumps who you are already spiritually seated. The new identity that you have in an eternal sense is one already spiritually seated there is the new you of who you come. In other words, he's saying you're no longer the point of reference. It, verses 1 through 3, you were. <laughs> you're spiritually cut off from God. You are the point of reference. It's all about me. It's all about flesh. Me finding my own way, carving out my own path, my own identity. But now can live with God as your point of reference we don't have to live for God we can live from God this is the him being the point of reference our source from a spiritual place that we're seated in heaven verse 8 he goes on and says for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not uh, your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of work so that no one can boast he says it again he doesn't want us to miss it this is not a work that you've done this is something that Jesus has already done in you and through you now each one of us is responsible for placing our faith and receiving the gift that's how we receive the gift is by putting our faith and trust but it's not our faith that saves us Jesus saves it's the quality of the object of our faith that saves not the faith that saves that's but the means by which we receive the salvation and so Jesus saves and 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 what I love about this is when you walk all the way through where Paul's gotten from here from verses 1 through 3, he paints this picture of where you were, how bad it really was, right? Which, that's all of us. 
Some of us who have been Christians for a long time love the dramatic testimonies of somebody who was, who was a, a drug dealer or living a life of crazy sin, and all of a sudden God calls them out of it, and you see this radical transformation. You're like, ah, I wish that was me. I'm just, I was just a good kid and a great guy and all of this, and then I said yes to Jesus, and now I'm an even better guy or whatever, and that's, that's not really how it works. Paul says, no, you were by nature a children of wrath or a child of wrath, right? I mean, that's all of us. We're all in that dark position, and it shows this radical transformation of the work that God's done, which is why we could say all of the things that we've said so far in our identity message. In your identity, you've now become a child of God, a saint, not a sinner who is completely forgiven, a saint who is dead to sin, a saint who is holy and righteous, a saint who is a temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells. But then Paul goes and finishes off this, this section in a way that really, I think, helps us understand our identity as a whole, helps us bring some of this issue of our personality and the rest of us into play when it comes to the way that he made us. In verse 10, Paul concludes this section and says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's, let's talk a little bit about this word, workmanship. This word that's translated workmanship in our English Bibles. Paul says we are God's workmanship. The Greek word that Paul used here is poema. And poema carries the idea of something that has been made. It was a work that God did. But it's not just describing a work that kind of a general way. As a matter of fact, this Greek word poema is where we get our English word poem from. So it gives you a little bit more of a sense of the, the creation that we're talking about, a little bit more of the, the artistic element of creation, right? As a matter of fact, there's only one other place in the entire New Testament that this Greek word poema is used other than right here. The only other place in the New Testament that is used is, is where Paul uses it in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Let, let me show you where Paul uses it here, and you'll get, it. I think, even a little better understanding of what Paul's trying to communicate here. In Romans 1, 20, he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. If you are following along in your own Bible or your Bible app that you have, highlight or underline those four words. What has been made? Those four words in English right there, one word in Greek. Poema. Paul says that God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from poema, what God has made. And so think about what he's saying here. He's saying that God's invisible qualities can be seen by what God has made. When we look at his creation, there's something in the way that we can look at creation that, that allows us to see and understand more about who he is. In other words, it's the, the artwork that's out there and the artwork which is on display, his creation, which is the artwork, says something more about the artist, right? 
So when we look at it and we look at the way that it's been put together and the, the things that are out there, it speaks of him. It tells us more about him. We can know more about who God is, even just looking in nature. Poema is the word used to describe God's creatively, or God creatively and artistically making things. It's also translated handiwork in some Bibles, and it's even translated masterpiece. He is the artist, and his creation is a masterpiece. He's spoken it into existence. And on this canvas of his artwork, he signs his name as the one who is the artist, the master of the masterpiece, which has been revealed. And so when we look at creation and we look at some of his creation, picture, you know, um, um, Grand Canyon. We went to the Grand Canyon when I was a, I was a little kid, not little, in high school at some point, and, and I stood over the Grand Canyon and saw the, the beauty and the magnificence and the, the power that was all on display, and, and it was able to speak something to me about, about who God's word. This was one of God's masterpieces. This was his poema, right? You think of Niagara Falls or just even a beautiful sunrise, a beautiful sunset, the, the, his creation as far as the earth and the design and where it is in the solar system and how it's been put together and that we're at the, the right distance from the sun where we're not too close that we would burn up or too far away that we would freeze to death. And, and everything that we look at with his creation says something about his, his artistry and his design and we can know a little bit more about who he is is Romans 1:20 Paul says that we can know more about God being understood from poema there's two times that Paul uses the word poema one to describe the masterpiece of creation and two to describe you you are one of his masterpieces taken a blank canvas and he's knit you together and put you together with the gifts that you have with the talents that you have with the looks that you have with the personality that you have and he's stepped back from it and he goes now that is good that right there y'all is a masterpiece you are one of God's masterpieces your personality your gifts you are a work of of art you're a reflection of his creativity and his artistry and so the next time that you find yourself thinking I'm not good enough I don't match up to so and so if I was more like him or her then people would value me more then God would like me more he would find more value in me do not fall for those lies renew your mind to the truth this eternal identity truth that you are God's masterpiece this is who you are this is one of the eternal identity truths of the new work that God does in recreating and making you a new creation in Christ I told you earlier how much I struggled you know when I was a kid and with my personality and comparing myself to others and trying to pick and choose and become more like them and as I've as I've learned these identity truths I've certainly grown 
a, a lot in that area. I've certainly been able to, to rest and find way more value in who I am and who God created me to be and not comparing myself as much to other people. But if I'm being honest, there are still times where that's a struggle. There are times where I'm out in the world and you're out in the world and even though we may know this truth, the world continues to come at us and Satan tries to convince us that we're, we're not enough and that if we were more like this person or that person, then we would have more value. People would like us more. God would, 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 would be impressed a little bit more about the, the kingdom work that we were doing and that kind of a thing. There are times where I look at other pastors and preachers and I'm going, man, why, why can't I be more like them? And I think that I find myself at the buffet again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the way this person does that and the way this person does that and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be like them and I've, and I've done that before and to be honest with you, every time it just kind of feels a little yucky. It doesn't feel right. It feels awkward. It feels like I'm pretending. I'm trying to be someone that I'm hoping that you would like and that I could get more of a reaction out of you in some way compared to who it was that I am and whatever God is trying to do in and through me. But as I renew my mind to the truth, he, he reminds me that I'm not called to be someone else. I'm just called to be me, right? He didn't call me to be them. He called me to be me. And I think the more we renew our mind to those, the truth, the more we take ownership that we're one of his masterpieces in our personality and our talents and our gifts, it allows us to, to rest and experience more more peace on the inside to find more value in the way God created us instead of expending so much energy and trying to be other people that might make us more valuable look at look at the way Paul ended this up again in in the rest of it after saying for we are his workmanship he says created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them Notice again that, that Paul says, here's the reason that, that you're one of God's masterpieces. Here's, here's the reason that you're a, a work of art, a piece of art, and you've been given the personality and the talents and the giftings that you've been given. It's for good works, which God prepared ahead of time. He knew who you would be. He knew the personality that he would give you. He, he knew the giftings that you would have, the talents that you would have. And he prepared in advance these good works to go along with your personality, to go along with your talents, to go along with your giftings, not someone else's, for these good works that you would just walk in. And so look what he did. Notice the contrast of where we are now compared to where Paul started. Right? You, you were in this position. You were spiritually dead. You, you were created as a masterpiece with all of these giftings for these good works, but you can't walk in them because you're cut off from God. All you have is your flesh and your own power and your own strength, and you're expending all this energy and trying to use them to help people value you more, to try to experience some kind of life out in the world. So Paul paints this picture all the way through the whole work of Ephesians of showing you how much he's done to make you spiritually alive, and he's seated you in heaven and who you are, so that now being connected to him in a spiritual sense, he can take and use your personality and your 
your giftings and your talents and all of those things to work in you and through you to accomplish those good works that he prepared in advance for you, not someone else, to walk in. In other words, what I want you to see this morning is that God put Jesus in you so that he could live his life, listen to this, as you. You see that? God forgave you of your sins through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit came to indwell in you to unite you to Jesus who is still alive, who is still working as the head of the church in and through his people. So he put himself in you to work through you as who? You. <laughs> He didn't put himself in you so that you could try to create yourself into someone that he could work through. He put himself in there to work through you as you. So what we would say is that we're going to go out and walk in these good works that Jesus is doing in and through us, and they're going to think it's you. People are going to see you because they see the externals, and they see who you are and your personality and all of those things, and they're going to think it's you, but you and I are going to know it's not me, it's not you that's doing them, it's Jesus doing them in me and through me as me. My personality, my giftings, my talents... They were all there, all there, except for maybe the spiritual gift that he deposited when we came into union with him, but the natural giftings, the personality, he didn't necessarily change those things about you. Those were being used to find life and, and all of this stuff in this way, and now he rechannels them. Still uses the talent, still uses the gift, still uses you. He's not trying to make you into someone different. And we spend the majority of our time and energy trying to make ourself into a new you. And God's saying, I've already made you into a new you on the inside. I've made you a masterpiece in the personality and giftings. So just wake up and be you. And let me live my life in you and through you as you. I love the way that uh, Dan Stone even writes about this in his book called The Rest of the, the Gospel. He, he, he's taking ownership of this, and he says this was a prayer that he was finally able to pray, saying, saying Lord, you've made the outer person that I am, saying my, my body, my soul, my personality, not at the spiritual level. You made that outer person. You live in that person, and you set that person in the world in a way that's going to attract some people to you. I'm not going to attract everybody. The ones you don't attract through me, you'll catch through someone else. And then he goes on and says, that's why we all fit together, isn't it? We fit together as a whole. Nobody can attract everybody. He says it, and I think we're all trying to get there. I used to try to attract everybody, but there are all kinds of fruit, he says. There are oranges, there are apples, there are lemons. God uses all kinds. I say to people, I'm a lemon, and God attracts some through my lemonness. <laughs> I love that, right? Because the way we view it a lot of times is if I could take this apple and I could, you know, take this orange and the lemon that I am and mix them together as a fruit salad, right? Then, then that would be the, the, the one that I need to be in order to, to, to uh, have the most impact in the kingdom. And I would, I would reach so many more people, right? God's not calling us to be all of those things. He's calling you to be you. He goes on later on and it just says, listen, it's, it's hard work trying to be somebody else. 
but it's not hard to wake up and just be me <laughs> I'm a lemon I'm just going to come to the point and settle that that's who I am and I don't have to be like everyone else and God's going to live his life in me and through me as me and he's going to catch some through me and the ones he doesn't he's going to catch through others amen when you and I take ownership of this not only can we walk more freely in who we are and see Christ work in us and through us through who he created us to be the last thing I'll mention is just it really does a work in the way that we should see and value other people as well because not only is God calling you a masterpiece but everyone else is a masterpiece as well and so when we really see this identity truth is true about not just me and about other people it helps us to begin to appreciate other people as well and so as we walk by the spirit he will lead us to recognize them as masterpieces as well and recognize that Christ is living in them and through them as them, right? As opposed to looking at them and being jealous of what they have and who they are and us trying to take from them or in us being annoyed by them and thinking they should be more like us and trying to make them more like us. It allows us to just celebrate that while God may, while I may, excuse me, find that annoying about them, that may be the trait that he works in and through them as them to attract some people in a way that he doesn't attract some people through me. So now I'm freed up to not get so disgusted and worried and expend so much energy trying to make them more like me because they're so annoying and just go, oh, they're a masterpiece and God's going to attract some people through them and some people through me. So it's a way that we find value in our own selves and others in a way that he works in and through us as individuals and in and through our brothers and sisters in Christ. You are a masterpiece. Your spouse is a masterpiece your kids are masterpieces your friends your family are masterpieces let's value them and celebrate them as the masterpieces they are and let's rest and value and celebrate the masterpieces that he's created us to be as well amen